Now this is our last session in guidance. This is our last session on, on guidance. So we've been doing, down here we've been doing the six week course, courses. So we're going to do another six week course next week, The Fear of Man, which should be a really good one to, to attend. Well look, I'll just read a text quickly then we'll pray and then we'll begin. This is the Apostle Paul in the, in the letters to the Colossians. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's a good prayer for us all. Lord, I just pray this morning that you would indeed grant by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be filled with a knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and that would then enable us to, to walk in a manner that's worthy of you, that pleases you in our decision making and that it bears fruit in the, in the works that we do for your name's sake. Amen. Okay, so this week, guidance and we're looking at these uh, we're looking at three things this week circumstances feelings and wisdom so last week you looked at um, how to use and not use the tools of God's word prayer and the counsel of others does that ring a bell yep using those tools in terms of our making our decisions and this morning we're going to look at two final tools that we can use to make decisions that is circumstances and feelings and then we'll wrap it up with wisdom which kind of encompasses everything that we've been talking about this is a this is a, a class really on wisdom and growing in wisdom so first of all circumstances circumstances we're going to start like the same structure as last week how to not use circumstances so there are wrong ways to read uh, circumstances. So, seeing circumstances as God having open and closed doors. Now, there's a way in which that, that can be good. We'll, we'll see that in a moment. But there's also this mystical way of, of viewing these circumstances, which is kind of a bit nonsensical. So, a guy says, I plan to propose to Mary, but it rained both times. I feel like God might be closing the door on the relationship, you see. No, it means that God was either giving you a soggy engagement or a different day, right? There's no larger significance to that pattern of that, those events there. So, so kind of going over the top in terms of seeing the, those open and closed doors uh, in that mystical way. Bad circumstances is another thing, means that I've, I've missed God's will, okay? If things don't turn out like I hoped, I must have made a bad decision um, but that might not be necessarily true. Um, you, you might have made a bad decision, but did Jesus make a bad decision by going to the cross? Did Paul make a bad decision by going to Rome and, and the sufferings that, that followed? So, so you know, we've we got to understand the Christian life is, is, is the path of the cross. And so decisions that we will make, godly decisions, will actually bring suffering into our lives at times, many times. And then in this idea, so you've got the circumstances there, like over-reading, open and closed doors in a mystical way. Bad circumstances mean definitely I miss God's will. And then 
thinking of uh, impossible circumstances, accepting an impossible circumstance is a sign of weak faith, okay? So I'm giving up on being a missionary to Nepal because I'm paralyzed, uh, and that means I, I don't have faith. Well, it, it would mean you don't have faith if the Lord had divinely revealed to you you've got to go to Nepal. But it doesn't mean that you've not had, you don't have faith if there's this, an impossible circumstance in front of you and necessarily the, the circumstances have arisen that you don't do that or you don't go there. So these are, these are wrong or faulty ways to use our circumstances or to read our circumstances. There are right ways that we can read our circumstances and use them um, to make decisions. Um, basically, overall, we, we do well when we see circumstances as the good acts of, of a sovereign God. The good acts of the sovereign God. So, talk about opening and closing doors. Of course, if you're biblically uh, alert this morning, you, you'll think, oh, Colossians 4. Paul says, pray for a... Do you remember that text? Anyone can pray for what? I've got Colossians in front of me. Right, so that phrase, open to us a door, okay? So God does open doors, open a door for the word to go through, okay? In 1 Corinthians 6, a wide door for effective work has opened to me. So God does open doors. And Paul speaks about having been prevented from coming to Rome in Romans 1. So he's, he's, he's prevented him, these closed doors before for a little while, and then it has been opened. So the general thing is that God is sovereign over all of creation, okay, and circumstances around us are actually the good acts of a sovereign God. So we were, this is a real important one to understand that these, these ultimate causation and secondary causation, we were speaking about it a little bit at our community group yesterday. Um, take the book of Job, right? Who killed the kids in Job? Book of Job, you know what happens, yeah? Disaster, disaster, and the kids get killed. Who killed the kids? Sorry? Satan, Satan. right? Because what happens, he, he's given, right? And then he does that, uh, and then who, who else could we say killed the kids? Okay, but then if he'd allowed it to happen, could God not have stopped it happening? Right? What does, jo what does Job say? At the end of chapter 1 and then at the end of chapter 2. It's worth just kind of pausing here for a second just to understand ultimate causation and secondary causation. Right at the end of, of uh, chapter 1? Right. So, so Job attributes the taking away of his children to the Lord. 
but there has been an immediate cause in terms of Satan's actions. So Satan's on, on the, on, and, and, and wicked men as well. I mean, you see the Chaldeans there act, is the, and, and obviously there's nature. Um, so God's the ultimate cause. So all things, every atom in the universe is moving towards its appointed end, appointed by God. That's a massive view of a massive God. Now that does not lead us to, what could that lead us to? If we think God's moving everything to its appointed end, God orders everything, all um, circumstances are actually caused ultimately by God, what could that lead us to? A, a passivity, yeah? Oh well, it's already sorted. But at the same time, we're called to work out our salvation, fear and trembling. We're called to make decisions, right? It, that's what I'm getting to here. So we have to see, it's good for us to see then that God is the, 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 the sovereign orchestrator of all things, okay? And that's, that's a good overview. So no bad decision of yours or anyone else's is gonna stop him achieving his purposes. That's great news. So that's a good, you rest in that. As a Christian, you can rest in that. You can make bad decisions. Other people can make bad decisions around you. Ain't going to stop God achieving his purposes. And if you are a child of God, what does he promise to do for you? He's going to conform you to the image of his son. So you can be sure that's going to happen, even if you make a few blunders along the way. Okay, so you're resting your head on the pillow of God's sovereignty in it all. What, what does it mean for our decisions then? Well, we trust his sovereignty, uh, some of which will be his secret plan, and some obviously is revealed in his word. Sometimes circumstances will tell you something about your, yourself, okay? If you can't kick a football, soccer ball, probably shouldn't be a footballer, right? You've probably not been gifted to be a footballer. There was no way that I would be an NFL linebacker. I'm just slightly, just only a little bit too short. But you know what I'm saying, yeah? Your circumstances, what, what, it's not a lack of faith, right? God's clearly telling you in the circumstance where you can't kick a football that you're not to be a footballer. If you maybe keep getting shot down for a particular job type, okay, it might be that God hasn't equipped you to be in that line of work. So you might need to step back and talk with some good Christian friends, a bit of wisdom, who know you well, and maybe reassess what you're good at. That's why it's great being in a, a healthy church member, being in a healthy church. You want to serve in the church, okay? You might want to serve in the church. And, and, and some people might think, yeah, I want to be, a, I want to be a, a teacher in the church. I want to teach Bible studies. And I'm like, you're not really that good <laughs> at public teaching. And, and so you might think it, but it might take other people, if you're humble, and they speak, tell you what, maybe that's, you know, I've heard you do a couple, it might not be your particular gifting, but I tell you what, you have a gift in hospitality, or you're phenomenal working with children. You know, you, you should volunteer in the nursery. You should volunteer in the nursery, we need volunteers. You, you know what I mean? So, what I'm trying to say is sometimes we read ourselves wrong. I think it's a, you know, a sign of maturity is that you have a, a right view of yourself. It's, it's a good thing. Um, but it's really helpful to ask others' inputs into, you know, do you see any particular gifts? Where do you think I would serve best 
here in the church and, and so on. Uh, circumstances, gifting, let's tell you about yourself a little bit. Um, so the, the, the question I ask, does that lead us to complacency with this sovereign God, all that he ordains is, is right? Well, it can, all right? But here's where I think a good passage to, to think about is the, the Apostle Paul's counsel can be a good guide here. In 1 Corinthians 7, you, you, you don't necessarily need to turn there, but you can if you want. Um, Paul writes um, about slaves, to slaves. He says, were you a bondservant when you were called? That is, when you were called to faith in Christ. And then he says, don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For, for he who, has called, who, who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man in the Lord. Did Paul hate slavery? Would you say that Paul hated slavery? This is an interactive class. <laughs> yes or no? Straight yes or no? Paul didn't hate slavery. Did you, did you say that? Yeah. He didn't. Um, well, he lists enslavers alongside murderers oh. and men who practice homosexuality and liars <laughs> and sexual... <laughs> For in 1 Timothy 1.10, you had a 50-50 chance there. <laughs> um, but he tells the slave, who's become a Christian, not to worry about the circumstances he's in. He said, don't worry, trust God's providence, knowing that one day God's going to right all these wrongs. But he doesn't call for complacency. He says, if you can undo that evil, go for it. If you can, go for it. So... It's kind of like having an open-handed ambition. That's a real good example for us. On one hand, it's ambitious. If you can change your situation, do it. But it's open-handed. If you can't, relax in God's sovereignty. One day God will do what you cannot do. And you can rest content in his good timing. So that's circumstances. A little bit about circumstances. Second thing, how about feelings, okay? Feelings and decision-making. We've, if you've kind of been tracking along, this class has really been anti-subjectivism, very much anti-mysticism, right? We want to be careful of that. Well, what about those hunches, the subjective senses that God wants us to do something? Should we ignore them because our feelings are unreliable, okay? Uh, if we ignore them, are we potentially guilty of quenching the spirit? Just as a little, I'm going to read something to you. Uh, who's heard of Mark Dever? Pastor Mark Dever, right? Mark Dever is a pastor, well-known pastor in, in the United States, written many books, served the church very well, very experienced man. Did some studies, um, his PhD in Cambridge in the UK. And he wrote a little article a few years ago called Beware of, of the Bondage of Guidance. Beware of the Bondage of Guidance. And in it he says this, I do believe that God's Spirit will sometimes lead us subjectively. By the way, Mark Dever is the pastor of the church where we get these core seminars from. We went to visit the church as elders. They do these kind of elder weekend thing, week weekender things where you can go as a team of elders and you sit in on their elders meetings and there's like 30 elders. It's a massive church and half of the elders are working on Capitol Hill. Um, it's quite remarkable to see how they run their church and they're very, very much equippers of other churches. So we went a few years ago 
And um, it, was, it was paradigm shifting for us as, as elders. So this, that's Mark Dever. He says this, I do believe that God's spirit will sometimes lead us subjectively. So for instance, I am choosing to spend my life here on Capitol Hill because my wife and I sensed in 1993 that that's what God wanted us to do. However, I realized then and now that I could be wrong about that supposition of staying there for, the, for life. Scripture, though, is never wrong. He says, I was free in 1993 to stay in England or to teach at seminary, either of which would have been delightful opportunities. I understand I was free to make those choices, but I chose consulting scripture, friends, wis uh, friends wisdom, and my own subjective sense of the Lord's will to come to Washington, D.C. And even if I was wrong about that, I have and had that freedom in Christ to act in a way that is not sin. And I understand my pastoring here not to be sin, so I'm free. So he wasn't pursuing a sinful path. He had freedom of choice and, to, uh, and with the, the combination of studying the scriptures, wisdom from friends, and a subjective feels of the situation. He decided that was what the Lord was leading. Most decisions, he says, I've made in my Christian life, I've made with no such sense of subjective leading. So he's not saying this is the way you should always do it, but it has some value. Maybe some would say that this is a mark of my spiritual immaturity. I understand this, though, to be the way a redeemed child of God normally lives in the fallen world. A subjective sense of leading, when we've asked for it, prayed for it, James 1, 5, asked for wisdom from above, and when God freely gives it, is wonderful. The desire for such a subjective sense of leading, however, is too often, in contemporary uh, evangelicalism, binding our brothers and sisters to Christ, paralyzing them from enjoying the good choices that God may provide and causing them to wait wrongly before acting. So I think it's a good little uh, anecdote story of someone who's very mature, very experienced, and the way that he used that subjective sense in his own decision-making. So there are wrong ways to use fe feelings. Let's just have another look at the wrong ways like we've been doing. Uh, number one, assuming that an inner prompting is definitely the Holy Spirit. How many times you have Christians uh, and they'll say, but, but God told me to do this. Jesus, you know, appeared to me in a vision, some might say. Not necessarily getting too many of those here. Um, I had a feeling during my quiet time that God was leading me that way. So, assuming that an inner prompting is definitely the Holy Spirit is faulty. Another way of wrongly using feelings is not acting until you feel an inner peace. How about, how about that one? I don't have peace about it. I'm waiting to have inner peace. How did the Apostle Paul arrive in Corinth? Do you remember 1 Corinthians 2, 3? I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. He didn't say I had a great sense of peace about coming here. You, you, you can go on here, but you get the point. Feelings are, are good, but they're not the reliable indicator of God's will. So there can be a right way, though, to use feelings. Um, think of intuition. Now, remember, it's not a, 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 a faultless guide, but nonetheless, it's worth taking into account, right? 
always subjecting it to the perfect authority of God's word. Likely, if you're 60, you might give more weight to your intuition than if you're 40, and if you're 40, you might give a bit more weight to your intuition than if you're 20, because experience in the Christian life means, uh, in general, more practice, uh, sharper reflexes to, to make right decisions. You've seen it come and go before. Speaking to an older gentleman after the uh, older Christian, uh, after the men's um, breakfast yesterday, and he was saying, I find myself saying to younger Christians a lot, calm down, slow down, take a breath, it's, it's going to be okay, because he's seen it before. He's seen it before, and he's given, it, he's given them that experience that he's, he's got. So as you've learned to div rightly divide the word, as you've learned to apply it to certain situations, your intuition, your instincts, your biblical reflexes should be sharper the older you get, okay? So intuition does, does have some value, but it's not your final reliable guide. Uh, another right way to, to use feelings, um, think of being prompted by the Spirit. Leadings being prompted by the Spirit. Um, Acts 8.29, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Um, you think of the, that's the Ethiopian eunuch's conversion. Sometimes our feelings might be more than just a mere intuition while still maintaining a appropriate skepticism about our feelings. So, how would that work? The the, uh, maybe a move of the Holy Spirit in your heart to, 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 give, to, to lead you to maybe give someone some counsel. If it was if it was me, I would be encouraging you to say, right, okay, so you've been praying about um, someone. Someone's got a problem. Stephanie's got a, uh, an issue. And as I've been praying for Stephanie, I've been reading the Word, I've been considering her situation. It's a job thing. Um, I've been praying about it, her circumstances. And as I've been praying about it, I've come to a, a sense and conviction that I think it'd be good advice to give to Stephanie to um, start her own business uh, in videography and supply all the churches in Cal Calgary and beyond. Um, now, I'm not going to go up to, to Stephanie and say, the Holy Spirit has told me to do this because I have the gift of prophecy. But, but I might say, hey, I've been praying for you, Stephanie. You told me about that situation. Considering your gifts, have you thought this might be a really good path for you to take? It would be like a kind of giving a, a, a biblical wisdom. Holy Spirit may be influenced because I've been studying the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit being the author of the word, I've been praying to God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit and there may be some act of the Spirit of God that has given me that kind of uh, insight from the Lord to give to her. But I'm not giving that the weight of, uh, you know, thus saith the Lord and you must do it. <laughs> so there is the right way to use those feelings. And then the third, so the intuition, uh, leadings prompted by the Spirit, and then desires. Desires. Um, you know, we all have desires. You can't uh, forget the great pro uh, promise in uh, Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So that's great because as you delight yourself in the Lord, your desires are actually going to change. They're going to be more desiring what the Lord loves and wants. But, so that's good. So the more holy you become, the more you actually you can trust your desires, but they are still desires, 
and they will have some level of um, uh, inconsistencies at times or, or faultiness at times. But understanding our desires is important for a, a few reasons. In God's kindness, he often gives us wide latitude in what we do in life. And often being happy uh, in him will involve doing what we want, what we desire, which is the great. It's great uh, freedom, that. Secondly, we'll often serve him better by doing what we want. You love teaching kids. You deplore balancing books. My guess is that you'll more easily work as unto the Lord if you're a school teacher than an accountant. You see? Third, our desires can reveal where our hearts are attached to something other than God. So you think of, of James 4, where our desires come from a, a spiritual adultery when we want something else more than God. And so then that can cause uh, arguments and discord and so on. And then fourth, our desires can be good. As I said at the beginning of this desire section here, the more you want what Jesus wants in your life, the more trustworthy your desires will be. So summing up this section on feelings with, with a, 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 a few guidelines to, to your feelings here and making decisions. Number one, in humility, recognize that your feelings can be wrong. And above all else, never elevate your feelings over God's word. And possibly over the strong godly counsel of others. You know, if you've got five mature Christians saying, don't think that's the right thing to do, as they've considered your situation and you've sought their counsel, and you're feeling your desire still to do it, it would be caution. You should exercise caution. It might not be good to, to, to elevate your feelings over their counsel there. The second is to discuss your motives with those who know you well. Part of being a Christian in a fallen world is, le is learning to make decisions um, with some mixed motives. So as you discuss with other people, you will discuss your motives with other people and they'll help you to kind of uh, sieve them out because you'll have some mixed motives in there and, and, and to give weight to those motives and say, hey, well, okay, there's some particular motives there that might not be good, um, but these, are, these outweigh the others. Um, maybe the third thing would be to use appropriate vocabulary to describe your feelings. Not God told me to or, uh, or so on, but uh, maybe I feel as if it would be wise for me to do such and such. Maybe I feel like God has given me a desire to do this. It seems good to do this. Seems good as, as other people have spoken into my life. And then the fourth thing is, remember your natural biases. Are you hesitant by nature? Well, you may need to learn to make decisions even when you're uncomfortable. Okay? Or the, or the not at peace thing, you know? Are you, are you rash by nature? You might need to to learn to, to wait a little bit. So that's, that's feelings. And then finally, because I, I want to finish a bit earlier today, give, uh, also give you a chance for some questions, is wisdom. So you've, you've got the five tools, God's word, prayer, and counsel. That was last week. Then you've got circumstances and feelings this week. So we've gone a little bit more on the subjective side of things. So we're not like saying, you know, a, a subjective views of things and intuition, all of this is, is always wrong. We just want to weigh it rightly. Okay, we just want to weigh it rightly because we are embodied souls. We, are, we have emotions and desires and, and, and all of these things and, it, and it's the way God's made us and we don't want to ignore that. Okay? So we've got the circumstances and feelings thing. 
Um, but, but then in, in, in gaining those tools or having those tools, how do we learn to discern God's will? How do we learn to discern God's will through it? Well, it's to pursue wisdom. And that's where we're finishing. What is wisdom? Biblically, we boil it down to two things, right thinking and right doing. Doing would be even your speaking. Wisdom is knowing God's ways and truth and then acting in light of what God has said to be true. So it's not surprising that in the Bible, wisdom is linked very closely to God's will. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. You could say, he, he, he says, therefore, do not be foolish. Now, what would you expect him to say? But be wise. That's the opposite of foolish. But he says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he's kind of equating that to wisdom. How do we grow in that knowledge of, of, of what the Lord's will is? We pursue wisdom. Don Carson puts this, it this way. Spiritual wisdom and understanding constitute the means by which God fills us with the knowledge of his will. So how do you become wise? How do you become wise? Fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord. Read the scriptures. Someone shout it out. Anything else? Skillful application of the scriptures. Seek the counsel. Yep. These are you. Guys are good because these are the things that have been coming up through the whole course. Yep. Proverbs tells us it's a lifelong pursuit. Um, listen, to, listen to Proverbs 2. Listen to Proverbs 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. Proverbs 2 verse 1 through verse 9. You could open that passage now and note the imperatives and see how they escalate in their intensity. Receive my words. Treasure up my commandments. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Call out for insight. Raise your voice for understanding. Seek now. Seek it like silver. Search for it as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Then you will know every good Past. Wisdom will not come to you. You've got to go get it. You've got to go get it. Search for it. Find it. You've got to act. How do we get it? Fear of God, that's your posture. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the overarching posture. You, you fear the Lord, you get under the Lord, you reverence the Lord in loving humility. That's the beginning of wisdom. If you don't, you ain't going to be a wise person. We begin to, to grow in wisdom as we orient everything in our lives around him. As we seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Even having the posture to do that, even having the desire to do that, 
You might say, well, like, how does that even work out? I'm just saying, come like a child and, and reverence him, fear him. That is the beginning of wisdom. The second thing is, to get wisdom is, use the means of grace. And this is largely what the class has been about, and some of you just fired out some of the stuff. Spend time in God's Word. Spend time in God's Word. It is, it is amazing. You know, I remember I preached on Joshua the other week, uh, Joshua 1, and, and he's told, isn't he, um, to, to meditate on the law of the Lord and not let the Word depart from his mouth. And I made the point, this, this is the beginning of a new year, about us meditating on the law of the Lord regularly. Psalmist, the happy man, the blessed man, meditates on the law of the Lord. And people say, yeah, I'm really struggling for time. And I said, well, Joshua is way busier than you. He was commanding hundreds of thousands of armies. You're not. And yet we still don't use the means of grace. It's not rocket science. But it is amazing how we won't use the means of grace. We have the Word of God. Meditate on it. Um, I was speaking to some of the ladies a few weeks ago. I don't know if you were there, Stephanie. Anyway, uh, I was, we were talking about, it was after the sermon. Oh, and Danielle was there. And we were talking about, you know, you're busy. And, and I said, what about having one verse a day that you concentrate on, maybe, just if you're struggling here. And that verse you're meditating on through the day. And then at the weekend, maybe on a Sunday evening, you might do a longer reading. You might read the book of James. So you're getting, rather than you just be defeated, oh, I'm not doing anything. You can do for, a, even for a season that. Maybe get your husband to, to, to choose the verses for you. Now you're calling your husband to a bit of spiritual leadership. He's got to plan a little bit. He can choose some verses for this these five or six days, then you've got that verse, you've written it down, it's in your pocket, uh, you're meditating on it, you're meditating on it, it's not just like skimmed over, you're meditating on it, you're living it out, and then you can do some more big reading, getting through your Bible at the weekend. So, this is using means of grace, spending time in God's Word, not merely to make a decision, but to grow in wisdom every day. I would add, um, Spend time in God's Word to know God. To know God, to commune with God. Not just to get things from God. Not to go to this like it's a manual to fix it, to fix my problems, to fix my life. The more you grow in the Christian faith, the more maturity you get, it's more about the, it's more about the relationship with Him and spending time with Him and loving Him and reveling in who He is in the triune Godhead. When you go with that attitude, you will naturally become more wise. Okay? So, spending time in the Word of God, meditating on it, going to, to know the Lord in the Word. And then secondly, pray. Ask for God's wisdom. James 1, God promises to give what you ask for. If you ask for wisdom, to honour Him. And then three, seek the counsel of others. Word, prayer, counsel of others. And then learn to trust God for his providence and seek to shape your desires around what he desires. So that's use the means of grace. So how do we get wisdom? We fear God. Secondly, we use the means of grace. And thirdly, we obey. Job, because Job is wisdom literature, you know. Job 28, 28. That's a, it's a great chapter in Job. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. 
you want to understand what it is to be wise, obey God, live in purity, and you will grow in wisdom. A wise man once said to me, be obedient to God's will for you today, as he's revealed it to you in the scriptures, and he will lead you into the future. He will lead you into the future. So that's just in terms of wisdom, how do we get it? And now we're finished. So there you have it. Circumstances, feelings, the last two tools in a set of five, and then wisdom. That's how we apply these things. Lord, thank you for this time we've had together for this course, and we do pray that we would continue to grow in the fear of the Lord. Um, prepare our hearts now uh, to receive your word uh, as it's preached, uh, as we go into the main service, um, to sing true things about you, to have our wills conform to your will uh, by the power of your spirit. And I do pray that you'd make us wiser Christians, uh, more loving Christians, um, more humble Christians, more holy Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.